What's up, Dirty Benches? I'm JD. And I'm Patty Popcorn. And we are the host of the Old Dirty Benches podcast. If you came here to listen to two women shoot the shit and talk about stuff we are not qualified to talk about, then you're at the right podcast. On ODB, we talk about white-collar crime, which costs the country upwards of 300 to $600 billion every year. Unacceptable. White-collar crime is typically orchestrated by those in occupational positions with the opportunity to commit these crimes. These crimes include insider trading, fraud, tax evasion, bribery, price fixing, and of course, corruption. We will discuss real cases, related articles, podcasts, and documentaries, movies related to the crime. Occasionally, we may sprinkle a movie review in. Our theme song is performed by Good Co. You can find them on YouTube, and don't forget to like, subscribe, or leave us a review anywhere you stream your podcasts. So gives us a listen. Hello, everyone. This is Old Dirty Benches. I'm JD. You did it right out of the gate. I never do that. I've been practicing in my car on the way to work. <laughs> also, I would like to formally request a name change on here. What? Yes. Okay. What I've been inspired change? by the orca that's sinking ships off of Spain, and my name now is going to be White Gladys. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> White Gladys, it's great you to have you. You can just call me Gladdy. <laughs> Patty White Gladdy. Yeah. I like it. Okay. Okay. White Gladdy. Have you Gladdy. heard this story? No, I haven't. So there's a pod of orcas off of Spain that they've sunk. Well, they've attacked like 500 oh, boats. Yes. I didn't know that they, I had seen like a couple boats, but I didn't know there was like a slew of them. Yeah, they've they attacked, they've only sunk five, but they've attacked like 500. Okay. And the rumor is because Gladys got hit by a boat and she's out for vengeance. And that sounds like me. <laughs> oh my she's my spirit animal. <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> Um, I say go, Gladys. You go, girl. Well, since we're talking about spirit animals, I would like to let everybody know that JD's is a hippopotamus. <gasps> All right. Those are really, like, dangerous. Thank you. Yeah. Anytime you I tell people it, that. I look like a flip-flop. Yep. But... <laughs> And they like to sunbathe, which is what I'm but all they about. They will fuck you up. Yes, they will. That's they awesome. are super like ferocious if they get pissed off. You would never off. know it. Yeah, they're nice and cute and quiet until you piss them off, and all then right. they're like, "I can see fuck that for you." you. <laughs> fuck all the way off. All right, so we want to jump right into this because we're doing a white collar crime, and Ew, we actually have you. a guest today. Yeah, look at us with our guests. I know prestige or worldwide. Somebody. Boats and hose. Not just in our own fun. <laughs> <laughs> so today on the episode, we're going to be talking about a fraud committed by Alexander Chatfield Burns. It's always a three-name person. I think <laughs> if you go by three names, you're up to no good. <laughs> What's interesting about this, of course, is uh, our guest here today has some insider knowledge about what happened. And I'm going to apologize in advance. My allergies are still bothering oh, God, me. dude. Gladys, what about you? So bad. 
<laughs> so before we get into the interview, we did want to provide a little bit of backstory to our listeners. So Alexander, uh, Alexander, excuse me, launched a private equity company in 2010. It was called uh, Southport Lane Management, and he was only 23. He was considered by some to be a financial prodigy. So the company grew to about 25 people, many of them experienced uh, in insurance and finance. He basically had no experience, but was able to receive state regulatory approvals to purchase these insurance companies. No red flags there. No, Uh, I'm tracks right now. So far, (laughs) sounds good. Uh, These companies included workers, compensation rider, Dallas National in Texas, and um, another one called Imperial Fire and Casualty in Louisiana. He had a brokerage firm and some agreements with other insurers that allowed him to manage hundreds of millions in assets. So in 23, everyone. Yes. Remember how you were at 23. (laughs) Please continue. 23, yeah. I can think of a lot of things I was doing at 23. (laughs) None none good. (laughs) It wasn't good. That's like your hidey-ho, which way do I go years. Yeah. I would say it wasn't good. Most of it was not illegal. (laughs) I will say that. Never convicted, everyone. (laughs) Squeaky clean over here. That's right. I. She's not calling the confessional for nothing. (laughs) (laughs) so in 2014 he actually checked into a mental health ward at new york's bellevue hospital but he left an affidavit behind in it he described asset transfers shortly thereafter he resigned from the company leaving everyone to ask what's going on Dun, dun, dun. Right. So apparently Alexander had misused millions of dollars and replaced them with assets that had either no value, very little value or didn't even exist. So the company losses were around 250 million. So based on what I read, he had removed like 35 million nine months before all of this happened back in 2015. Before he checked himself in. Correct. Before, you know, he checked himself in. This was in 2015. So at that time, uh, Mr. Burns had this to stay to say, and I quote, at no time did I ever, nor will I ever receive any personal financial benefit from any Southport transaction. Unfortunately, he added. But that doesn't count the shell companies I moved it to. (laughs) (laughs) Good luck finding them. No, he didn't say that. Uh, Southport's restructuring compounded by the timing of my departure has left ill will among my former colleagues and distortions. So they were just talking shit about him. Yes. And exaggerations about my personality. smart. And my integrity are inevitable. What integrity? So Alexander later moved to South Carolina. Mr. Burns actually died by suicide. This was right before his sentencing. Was he out? Yes. I believe that he was because he was at this point cooperating with the federal government and had pleaded guilty. So he was essentially awaiting sentencing. So I don't know if you read anything about his suicide, but it was pretty horrific. We actually have Richard Bailey here with us. (laughs) After that, it was pretty horrific. So anyway... Here's somebody that knew him. Yeah, here's somebody who actually knew him. We want to first thank Richard for uh, being a guest on our podcast. Of course, we really appreciate it. So with that, we will jump into our interview. Okay. Hi, Richard. How are you? I am very well. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me on your podcast. Yeah, no problem. Um, we're excited that you reached out to us. Of course, we do white collar crime. We're not experts on it. We uh, do a little bit of what we call coffee talk. Right, Patty? That's right. 
Um, So most of the stuff that uh, we do know or have educated ourselves on is stuff that we have looked up on Dr. Google or... um, It's pronounced Google. Oh, sorry. My bad. Um, (laughs) (laughs) um, Or some of the investigative journalism, you know, that's out there. They're doing the good work, oftentimes looking into uh, various cases and situations. So we rely on them a lot. But we are excited to have you here, Richard. And we do understand that uh, you had actually worked with Alexander Burns, correct? Yes. That is correct. Yeah. And he hired, he, he hired me to run a vineyard that they had grotesquely overpaid for up in Long Island. Okay. Okay. And that's what I was reading. And I understand, too, that um, just before we dive into the interview here, that you are or have written a book and are releasing that at the end of the year, correct? Yes. It's uh, being published by Bancroft Press. Um, and it is uh, being released on November 7th of this year. Okay. And awesome. it's available, and it's available on, on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and other outlets online. You can buy, you can prepay. Called? It's called Pirate Cove. Pirate Cove. Oh, what cool a name. fitting name! <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's actually, I, I'd like to say that I came up with it, but a friend of mine who also worked at South Port Lane at this pseudo private equity company, he just—it's a description he gave to the place. He said, "You know, everybody's trying to." By the way, am I allowed to swear on this podcast? Yes. yes. We encourage it. Yeah, uh-huh. we're explicit. We encourage it. All right. All right. <laughs> he, 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 his exact line was, everybody's trying to rat fuck each other here. This oh. place is a pirate cove. Okay. So, you know. Okay. Well, that's a good tagline. That's how I got that, <laughs> Yeah. We're all trying to get a piece of that booty. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, oh my goodness. You know, before we get started, I do want to let you know, sure. Richard, uh, my background is in criminal justice. Um, and I kind of consider myself to be a behavioral scientist and I strictly focus on deviancy. So um, some of my questions. You must are- be fun at parties. Yeah, I am. Totally fun. <laughs> my background is uh, sarcasm <laughs> and witty banter. <laughs> <laughs> so we even each other out. We definitely do. I nerd out and then Patty she calls goes deep, me out. And then I make jokes. <laughs> so some of my questions, you know, when we get into this, it may be more about like some of the behavior, yeah. things like that, because that that interests me a lot, uh, uh, specifically about these types of cases. So um okay. So Richard, can you and is it okay if I call you Richard? Would you like something? You else? can call me Richard. Okay. No, that, that's fine. That's actually what my mother calls me. Awesome. Oh, how nice. I feel honored. <laughs> so can you first tell us how you uh, met Alexander? How did you first meet Alexander? Uh, pretty interesting. I was, I had just finished, um, I just basically liquidated a company and was out of work. And my friend, uh, Jeff, was had just gotten hired at uh, out of nowhere private equity group in New York City in Midtown called Southport Lane. And he called me up and he said, you know, 
we've got a job that you'd be good at, you know, would you, would you be interested? And I'm like, I'm not doing anything. Of course I'm interested. And uh, so I went down there and the, the job was to evaluate a potential company for an investment. Now, just a little background on me. I've been restructuring companies for about 35 years. Uh, so I've seen a lot of really, really messed up companies. And, you know, I kind of have this little niche where, you know, I like to go in there and, and figure out, you know, what were the decisions that made these companies go bad? And that was what they had in this company. They were going to they were going to make a sizable investment, a majority investment in in northern New Jersey. I went down there, spent a couple, uh, spent a better part of a week there. And you know, when I went back, I had to go back to South Portland. They were in the Midtown Manhattan, and I walked in and at the conference room. You know, Alex walks in and says, "Should I buy this company?" Now, mind you, this is a 26-year-old kid. Yeah, so he was 26 by the time you had met him. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And and, and he's, you know, supposedly representing that, you know, uh, that that he's, you know, got billions of dollars and things like that. So, you know, and none of it made sense to me. But, you know, who am I? I mean, I was out of work. So I'm just being nice and shutting up and doing the job. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Trying to represent yourself in a positive manner. So this person. Yeah. Yeah. Look to you for advice. Yeah. and so the first thing he said to me, you know, well, the first thing he said to me, he walked in to the conference room and he looks over, he just doesn't say hello, nothing like that, you know, just starts speaking to me. He goes, so I understand your son's a classics major at Yale. And I said, well, uh, you know, yeah, he goes, I was a classics major too until Dave Swenson. Now, Dave Swenson, for everybody out there, Dave Swenson is a legendary, he just passed away about a year or two ago a legendary uh, money manager that was the ma- manager of the Yale endowment and took it from like $7 billion to $27 billion over the course of his lifetime. He just absolutely almost, you know, invented the private equity business. And he goes, but, you know, Dave Swenson found out I was, you know, I was running a hedge fund and I was beating his returns and he had to be thrown out of Yale. Well, how do you react to that? Yeah. Um, I'm, you know, <laughs> you know, first of all. Yeah. I would have been yeah. like, what did you do? <laughs> What did you need yeah, to get thrown out of you? <laughs> well, thanks yeah. for having me in. See you later. Yeah. Well, you know, but the fact of the matter is my son was at Yale and one of the kids in his, in his one of his sweet mates was actually managing money. So obviously Yale didn't have a problem. So I was like, you know, just one of those strange things that, you know, you answer. And I, you know, remember sitting there and saying to myself, God, I hope my son doesn't turn into someone like this. You know, um, well, he, you I know heard, I've never seen anybody. Or I read in ways that he... He would oftentimes like walk around in like yell clothing or like have emblem and stuff like that on his clothes. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay, yeah, yeah, he had all that, and then he had you know, he liked to you know pretend that you know he was some big hotshot gospel, and you know, he had anchors on his you know clothes and all sorts of things that you know, let me just say, I lived in Newport, Rhode Island for 10 years, I raced uh sailboats all the time, my wife lives lived on uh, charter yachts in the Caribbean as sailing out to the Caribbean. This kid didn't know the pointy end from the flat end of the boat. So, I mean, you know, but he just, he was, yeah. <laughs> but he, he, but he's just, but he's just so, you know, focused on not just impressing you, but on making you immediately in awe of him. Okay. So you were just, kind of and swept it was just away all weird. then. Narcissist. I was, I, I, I was, I was never swept away by him. I was kind of, I, I was, I was kind of scratching my head, going, "Man, I've been out of work for a while. I guess the world has changed." Okay. You know, when okay. you got people like this running money. Um. So yeah. So that, you know, that was that was how I met him. And um. 
So Richard, you let know, me ask asked, you this because you kind of said that you didn't you didn't want your son to turn into Alexander. So were, did you have like any sort of feelings that maybe like he was full of shit? Yeah, or like kind of maybe because you know sometimes we'll get those uh, knots in our stomach a little bit, like that somebody's off, or you know there's a little bit of red flags for us. But a lot of times when that happens, we'll wave them off. Did you have any sort of feelings like that when you first interacted with him? Or were you just like, uh, hey, this uh, guy might this be a little eccentric, <laughs> whatever. He's got a lot of money, you know, that kind of thing. Well, I mean, the answer to that is yes. It all impressed me as being rather odd, you know. And, you know, having seen a lot of fraudsters before in my career, I, I didn't quite get that immediate sense that this guy's, you know, full of shit. Okay. Um, but, you know, but it was just, you know, things just struck me from the beginning as odd. And then, you know, a lot of things, once I got closer to Southport Lane and then started working for them, you know, I was, there, there were so many things where I was like, this is not the way a private equity work firm works. What's going on here? Okay. And that's when I got, and that's when I got, I started getting very, very cautious. Okay. With everybody, everything that I did there. So explain, so you have that first meeting and Alex obviously decided to hire you. So explain how you started working for him and and what your responsibilities were. Well, okay. He had just purchased a vineyard out in Long Island. And, you know, I didn't even know, I mean, I'm from Connecticut. I grew up on Long Island Sound, looked over at Long Island Sound, at Long Island, you know, half my life growing up. I didn't know they had vineyards out there. Um, but he, he, he had, there's like 30 of them out there. So, you know, I, so I didn't, so he hired, he managed this vineyard out there, which was an absolute, it was in, you know, for every dollar in wine, it sold it lost 75 cents. And, you know, it was just not, and again, I go out there and I want to look at, you know, the accounting and all the things that I usually do. And, you know, what I figured out didn't take long was that in the way the vineyard was presently being run or currently being run back then everybody was in charge and nobody was in charge so there was absolutely no and meanwhile there's money just sloshing through it quarter million a year half a million there and i'm just going what is going on here yeah but this you're is just you're seeing like losses and stuff with respect to the business itself but money is like constant going in and out then is what it like sounds laundering? like precisely what it was okay yeah they were you know, if you know, I can give you the details of the actual crime, but you know, the vineyard was just how they were wandering some of the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, but and and you know, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm going, wait a minute, why? I mean, I, I sat there one Saturday in August of 2013. I sat here at home, and I had all the bank statements um, for the previous year, 14 months, and I just put all the every transaction in the bank statements into a QuickBooks file. On day one, when they opened the bank statement, twelve million dollars came in. I'm sorry, eighteen million dollars came in on the first um, day. On the first day, eighteen that, million showed up. And that, like, had you started, you were already working for them on the first day. Then? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I was trying. I was trying to make. I was trying to make sense of all this because at the same time, they're wanting to sit there and turn this into a public company, and it, and the company's in the process of getting audited. And so, you know, that's a fairly complex. That's a fairly complex task, and there has to be a paper trail for every single, a proper, yes. verifiable paper trail yeah. for every single you know transaction that occurs. And a lot of these uh, transactions there, there was no paperwork, nothing. But eighteen million comes in the first day, three million of it goes out a side door to another Southport company. Okay. And I'm like, okay, what? Why? Why do that? Mm-hmm. Then all of a sudden, I'm noticing, 
I'm, I'm noticing that, you know, money's going to people's brokerages accounts, you know, Merrill Lynch, TD Ameritrade. And, you know, then there's one that goes to a company called, and this is what really started to get me thinking. It was called Raubritter. And, you know, I'm not exactly a scholar of, uh, you know, German, of the German language, but, you know, I did use Google Translate and Raubritter translates to robber baron. Oh, wow. And so it was Raubritter LLC. And I go, I asked one of the other people at Southport, didn't ask Burns this. I said, who's, I said, whose account is this? He goes, oh, that's Alex's. I didn't mention my suspicions because of the use of the name. So anyway, there was just, there were so many things. Well, because by the way, I don't want to uh, underestimate this part. The pay was really good. And yeah. I was, you know, and I was, you know, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, I want this much money. You know, I'll, okay, I'll, I'm going to find out what's going on. Yeah. And so there was all sorts of strange, crazy things like that. When finally, you know, they want a friend of mine. A very close friend of mine who was a traditional classic private equity guy. I mean, he was number one in the class at Northwestern Business School. I mean, you know, he was worked at Merrill Lynch, you know, private equity. And I mean, he was, you know, he's a classic true private equity guy. You know, he has a deal that he wants to show me to bring to Alex Burns. And we sit there and we make the pitch. Burns isn't even listening to the pitch. It's a $15 million investment. Burns looks at me, asks me what I think. I said, I like the deal. This is why. He sits there and goes, okay. We'll make the investment. Richard, you run the deal. And before he leaves, my friend, who has this Midwestern nice way of asking very cringy questions, uh-huh. <laughs> he, he says, Alex, you know, just for a moment, how did you get control of all these insurance companies? Because that's what Southport Lane was. It was a management company for four different insurance companies. Yeah. But how did you get control of all these insurance companies? Yeah, because burns as he's walking. let me um, yeah, interrupt you real quick, because my understanding was that Alex had no experience in the insurance industry. Isn't that correct? Or what did you know zero. his experience? Okay. Yeah. So zero. He had zero. I mean, and so he turns it. So my, so my friend Brad asked him that question and Burns turns around, looks at us and with his Cheshire crack, Cheshire cat grin says, Jesus with a telescope on Mars couldn't figure out how they, how I did this. Okay. So and, right there. And then he, <laughs> then he turns around and walks up. <laughs> yeah. What's well, your yeah. friend like, I, 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 dude, this guy's shaky. <laughs> well, well, you're, you're absolutely right. That's exactly what it is. We went outside. You know, we got up. We packed our briefcases. We walked outside. We got in the elevator. We got up 22 floors. We walked out on Madison Avenue. We're all trying to contain our laughter because it was just the most absurd thing that we had ever heard. And all of a sudden, we look at each other and break up laughter. It's like, what did he just say? That is the most ridiculous thing. And my friend looks at me, and he does it in his Elmer Fudd voice. He goes, be very, very careful. Something's very, very wrong here. <laughs> and, you know, and, and at that point, you know, that was September of uh, 2013. You know, I'm, at that point, I'm kind of hooked. I got to figure out what it is. Okay. Okay. So, you so know. hold on a second. So were you, at this point, were you, like, thinking maybe – you would have some sort of liability or personally for what he's doing or no, you just not like, yet. Something's I, not really adding up here, but I don't know what it is. Yeah. I mean, I didn't know what it was, so therefore I couldn't be liable for it. Um, so when did you, know, you, you know, when did you sit down with the, cause you said you had used Quicken books, right. And went through. QuickBooks. I, yeah. That was in, uh, that was in August of 2013. Okay, so you had sat down at that point and went through all of these transactions and was like, 
something looks off, you find that account, right, which is his personal account. I mean, that is basically illegal in itself, correct? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah it's, it, it, it's it's first class fraud, but I didn't have it. I didn't have the documents <laughs> or anything like class. that. I was yeah. sitting in first class and I noticed the fraud. <laughs> Give me a side of cheese. You know, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So did you no. did you ask Alex about it or no? Not yet. I did. I I did about a week later. I saying Alex, these don't look good. What are these? Uh huh. And He's then like, he called look over there. Let me tell you a funny <laughs> yeah, anecdote, yeah. and then run away. <laughs> yeah. No. Then they called. Then they called Andrew Sharon, and Andrew was the CFO at Southport Lane, and Andrew goes this isn't the company you shouldn't be doing this this isn't the company and then and then they did the old-fashioned praise and erase they told me what a great job i was doing and they offered okay. me more money oh and they offered you and, more you money know, okay yeah and, and i'm sitting there and i'm sitting there and i know exactly what's what what they're doing and like that and there i am i'm sitting there going okay i'd love to do more work with this place with south yeah. portland you know I was, I was pretty surprised i said that quite frankly but you know it's, i hadn't been working for a while so i mean did you feel any sort of like unease or anything or and the reason I ask is honestly because, and I've done a lot of studying on one of my favorite, I'm a nerd out a little bit, but one of my favorite criminology theories is neutralization. And we do, everybody does this. So we rationalize, you know, because we have a certain set of morals or values, right? And then the ethics is the actual behavior that aligns with those values and morals. But a lot of times when something presents itself that's in conflict with that, we start making decisions, but we rationalize those decisions in certain ways to kind of justify the conflict of our actions with our morals and values. So, you know, like to give an example, when you're driving down the highway, the speed limit is 65, but everybody's going But no like, one goes 65. Yeah, everybody's going <laughs> 70, 75. You might see somebody zooming past you at 80 and you're like, well, I don't see any state patrol around here and everybody's doing it. I'm going to go 70, 75. You know, like that's the sort of rationalization that happens. So I didn't know if like anything like that was happening for you or what sort of, you know, feelings you were having or decision making, you know, especially like because you're bringing your concerns up to the manager, the boss, right, Alex, and then he brings in yep. somebody else and they're like, oh, great job. Here's some more money, you know, because I, I see people getting into those situations and they're like, OK, red flag, red flag. But then somebody's like, oh, but, you know, like everything's OK here. We'll pay you more, you know, that kind of thing. And then people stay. So. Can you like uh, elaborate a little bit more on that? What they did, you know, as I said, it was the praise and the raise, and I accepted it. Here's the thing: I didn't have proof of what they had done. I had the bank statements, okay, but the bank statements just told me about where the money movements were. I didn't have, you know, how they how they came into the money, where the money came from, like what who the conditions. was involved, right, that kind picture. of thing. Yeah, yeah mm -hmm. the, condi the, the, condi the conditions that you that they were given the money. Yeah, you know, okay. um, I just so I, I had no hard proof about that. Okay, for about another, you know, eight months, and then I found a document online uh, filed with the SEC, um, which they it said now this is you know this is nerd. You know, security's nerd going. Okay. Um, it's called, <laughs> you can it's, nerd out on it, here. It, that's it, fine. It, <laughs> it, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. They, 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 they filed a form N2 with the Securities and Exchange Commission saying that they had uh, received this money and where it was going to go. And I'm reading and what the uses of the money was for. And I'm reading that document and I'm going, 
they didn't do any of that. Okay. You know? Yeah. And so at that point, you know, if, once I, once I had that, I knew that, that there was at least securities fraud involved. Okay. So that's because when I you had, were like, there's, I could be maybe in trouble here with this. Once you saw that they were doing something that looked Ill, definitely illegal. Well, yeah, and now I know what, what happened. Yeah. So then, you know, so you know, my liability just skyrocketed. Okay. Okay. You know. Yeah. So now I feel as you know, now that kind of puts you know a protocol in motion where you have to sit there and you know you can't just ignore it anymore because you ignore it and you become complicit. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, most most people, you know, I've been told this. Uh, you might know better. Most people <laughs> shut up and ignore it. Yeah. Shut up and yeah. pretend they don't they want because, you know, they like the money, That's you know, right. which, you know, I was certainly was guilty. Well, I certainly yeah. was guilty of that at the beginning. You know? Yeah, we definitely see that. And I mean, and some of the more famous cases, like you saw that with Enron, you know, and some of those other big corporations, some people had seen maybe some stuff that they didn't think seemed right. But, you know, everybody was going along with the process. Um, And then to your point, like there wasn't clear, definite evidence, you know, at at the beginning. So particularly for your case, like you're saying, you know, you saw some stuff that didn't look right, but you didn't have conclusive evidence to really substantiate what you thought was going on. Were you at all like telling your wife any of these concerns? I'd be curious if your wife was like, what the fuck are you doing, dude? <laughs> oh, there, 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 are those, there are those moments in this story. <laughs> I figured there was. Being that I myself am a wife and sometimes say that. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, that comes that, that here right now. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to implicate yeah, probably... anyone, but I'm just saying. <laughs> well, you know, at, at that point, you know, you've got suspicions. And so what do I do? You know, mm-hmm. I've got to sit there and find out, you know, first thing I wanted to find out is if this was an, an, an actual crime. If it was a crime, what level it arose to. Yeah. Now, so I, I hired an outside counsel that Southport didn't know. Okay. And, um, and and then we started trying to find we started trying to find the investors in Southport, the insurance companies. And it turns out the insurance companies were in liquidation with the state of Delaware. And so there's all sorts of problems there. We were trying to get in touch with the uh, the receiver for the state of Delaware, who technically because technically once the insurance companies went into liquidation. And this is after Burns Burns left and kind of disappeared on everybody. And you know, there was you know, the, the insurance commissioner of, of Delaware was essentially became the owner of the vineyard. Okay, so I so couldn't get any. They were. I, I, like, I wanted. Yeah, they were almost defunct then at that point. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I tried. So we 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 tried to get a hold of the insurance commissioner, and they wouldn't, and their attorneys, and for about a year they never responded. We called them. We emailed, we FedExed, you know, hard copy documents. We snail mailed, registered mailed my attorney and I. They mm-hmm. never replied to a certain thing. So where this all takes a turn for the proactive, I guess is the best way to put it, okay. is I'm here in, in, in this little town south of Boston. And I'm at the transfer station, you know, doing our garbage on a Sunday. And next to me at the transfer station is one of my neighbors who happens to be an FBI agent. Okay. And... <laughs> 
Nice. Like, hey, Bob, <laughs> let me ask you something. Totally yeah. uh, hypothetical. I might have seen it in a movie or something. I, but how much trouble would this it. guy be in? <laughs> I thought, well, I mean, I, I, I know him pretty well. His his kids went to school with my kids. I've seen them at eight million, you know, eight million, you know, school functions and things like that. You know, when when our kids were little, um, and so I finally looked at him and I go, "Hey, Dave." I said, I think I got to talk business with you. And all of a sudden, he goes from nice, cheery, you know, Boston Irish days <laughs> oh, to like, you know, game, you know, FBI game face comes on. He goes, You in trouble? I said, No, but I think my employer might be. Mm-hmm. And so he, he goes, What happened? So I tell him like, what happened. He, and he's like, Okay, go home, sit down. I'm going to call you in 15 minutes. Because keep your phone in your hand. So he did. And we set up a meeting the next morning, uh, you know, with a white collar guy. And then I outlined everything to the white collar guy. And he said, yep, this is, has all the makings of a characteristic fraud. And then they never got back to me for like a year. My, my neighbor was working the Boston Marathon case. So he's, you know, so he's, you know, legitimately, you know, on something else. So, you know, and and I, I didn't, I never heard back from, uh, uh, from the white collar guy. Okay. And that's when I started. And that's when I went to go to, to I don't know if you guys have ever heard of him. There's a guy named Bo Deedle. Bo Deedle, uh, He's an yeah, actor. He's a, I heard of him yeah, from well, the New Jersey Housewife show. <laughs> Yeah, but Bo, Bo is a friend of mine. Yeah, uh, and I hired his firm a couple times. Okay, and so I I go to Bo. I say, listen, I need somebody to do a couple things. I need you know somebody to a prove to me this is a crime. All right, somebody to you know do a little documentation, a little write up, you know, a little research, and, and tell me what crimes are you know are are, are having committed. Yeah, because at this I point, said, you know something's happened, but you're not sure like how far it goes or what's involved. Right. Okay. And, I, and, and I said, I want background checks. And I gave him three people that worked at the company. Okay. I want background checks on all those guys. And now by this time, by the way, Alexander Burns, it's a totally different story. He had left. He he faked, he, he faked uh, a nervous breakdown and walked out of the company. Another, totally another story. But um, So and, and the third thing I wanted is I wanted to find out from Bo. I said, who in law enforcement is doing this? He says, you know, the written report, which I still have, and it said, absolutely, there's a crime. This is a major looting of you know insurance companies. This is a federal crime under these statutes and things like that. Yeah, because it sounded really... like, based off of what I was reading, he was basically acquiring these different companies and assets and using yep. the money that they did have to inject into these other entities but then would basically remove that money and so he was just like shuffling it around you know to yeah. your point and patty's <laughs> money laundering <laughs> so yeah, well, that's, that, well that's that's that's, exa- that's exactly what it was both you know those guys call the um at the time it was preet bahar too was the uh, u.s attorney for the southern district of new york mm-hmm. they call his office and the southern district of new york waves Bo and his group off saying, mm-hmm. don't, can't, can't talk to you about this. Can't talk to you about this. Makes no sense. All right. And that's when they looked at me and said, this is being run out. It's got, there's a task force. It's got to be in Washington. It's got to be run out of Maine justice. This is all of a sudden it's getting to us, Bo, myself, and the guys who work for Bo, for Bo. It's, this is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And so I said, okay, I need to get in touch with, and I don't, you know, I need to get in touch with the task force. Because I have all this information, you know, I've got a lockdown how the crime occurred. So they um, had. So let me just stop you for a minute. So are you saying yeah. that uh, they had already started investigating the situation? Then and I yes, and I had I, I did not know that. Okay, okay. but so Bo introduced me to this uh, this lawyer in New York, 
named Michael Weinstein. And Michael, you know, is a former assistant U.S. attorney in Washington, D.C. So Michael knows the Justice Department very, very well. Mm-hmm. Michael's a very he, he's a very calm. He's a criminal attorney. Mm-hmm. He's a very calm, you know, kind of reassuring type person. He calls me up one day and I'll never forget this because I was sitting in my car waiting to get on the ferry to come from Long Island back home. And he just sits there and he goes, are you sitting down? I'm in the car. Uh, you know, he doesn't say, oh, like he just sits there and goes, there's, there's a massive task force investi- investing, uh, investigating Southport Lane. Um, it's the FBI, the DOJ, the uh, SEC, the Commodities Futures Trading Association. It's being run out of Maine, Justice in Washington. And I just got off the phone with uh, the lead investigator for the FBI. And he wants to meet you. And I'm sitting there and I go, I'm just going, okay, good, cool. He goes, Richard, before you say anything else, he goes, what they really want to know is will you wear a wire? Oh, wow. Okay. I, I never so saw that, 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 that question coming. Do you think that um, Alex knew that he was being like people were looking at him for possible crimes and that's why he had the quote nervous breakdown unquote? Well, I mean, the Wall Street Journal had gotten and they had published in January of 2015 front page articles. <laughs> This guy about, a scammer. Uh, 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 <laughs> yeah, you know, you know, and they kept on referring to him as financial prodigies, you know, insurance empire crumbles, you know, things yeah. like that, bad lines. Okay. You so know, like because so. definitely like if you're saying that those other companies they had liquidated them, they already knew at that point yeah. something was up. Yeah. And now they're probably raising the concern to the other federal agencies to be like, we need to look at this whole thing a little bit closer. So he it sounds like to me, based off of what you're saying, that, you know, all of this was going on, but some of the other staff members really didn't know that that was happening for a little while. Is that I'm everybody right there, by the way? <laughs> <laughs> you only know not what you every, want to know. <laughs> yeah, well, you're right. Not everybody knew what was actually going on, but everybody at Southport Lane had suspicions of what was going on. Okay. But nobody wanted to, nobody wanted to do anything because the pay was really good. Okay. So you when know, they crime ask does pay. you to wear <laughs> crime we, does that pay. is not what we That's say. not okay. what we advocate here, Richard. Stop it. <laughs> Conrad edit that we out of the podcast. We say criminy and <laughs> crime after crime and stuff like that. But anyway, um now what was I going to say? Oh, About when they the ask you to wear a wire, were you like hell no or were you like oh my god, cops and robbers or like what were you thinking? <laughs> You know, I, I had to think about it. And to go back to your earlier I was going to say, question, what does your spouse think about that? I, that was the I sat there and said, oh, my God, I've got to tell my wife. Okay. You know, and it, it takes about two and a half hours to drive from. Uh, mad. How much does she know about <laughs> up to that point? She knows that that things aren't right okay we're going to interview her next week (laughs) i'm just messing with you richard no go ahead go ahead we have her on another line (laughs) (laughs) and and so i I sat there and i said okay i gotta think about this this what i get to wear a wire (laughs) yeah Oh I might not have quite put it like that. Um, <laughs> no, what what but, was you know, your thinking? Like, what? You I'm sure nervous? you were probably a little bit. Nervous. Honestly, I never saw it coming. So I, just, I never saw that question coming. It never occurred to me that I'd be asked to do that. Uh, so on the drive home, I was sitting there going, "Are these guys dangerous? Am I? You know, this is, is this an existential threat to myself or my family?" Mm-hmm. And you know, I came I came to the conclusion that these are not 
likely. And I told the FBI this too uh, when, on, on my first meeting. They're not exactly, these aren't guys going to show up at my house with a, with a shotgun. <laughs> and at least not for another few years because they're all in prison. Uh, you know, but, uh, and so I, <laughs> at least, not, not at least for you another. got your sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. well, you know, yeah. Oh and so I said, and so I, I sat there and said, okay, you know, all that being said, I, I, I have the clue, you know, Christina, my wife. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I walked in and, you know, she's pretty stoic. She's a school teacher. She teaches eighth grade science. So she deals with 13 year olds all day long. So there's <laughs> okay. not really much, there's, there's, there's not really much you can do to kind of like, you know, freak her out because the 13 year old boys are pretty terrible uh, and girls. And, and so she just looks at me and she goes, and she's, you know, she, we've been, we'll be married 30 years in next month. Oh, and she looks at me and, she, yeah. oh, thank you. Thank you. And she looks at me, she goes, I know you. I know you've already made up your mind to do this. All I will sit there and say is, be, do you know what you're doing? I clearly did not. And she goes, and be careful. Mm-hmm. Just, be, just be careful. And so that was kind of the extent of it. Okay. Um, and then that, that, that <laughs> so started. She was like, and, and ride or die, baby, ride or die. <laughs> That's why I always said she'd be a great butt. You don't die, baby. Yeah. Yeah. Without signing this paper. Yeah. And is our life insurance up to date? Sure, do it. Yeah. Yeah, So, Um, but yeah. So that happens. And then what? So you you agreed to it. And then how did that all go down? I had my first meeting with uh, the FBI. in uh, June of 2015, and you know, I, I get to Michael Weinstein's office in Midtown Manhattan. You know, I'm nervous, and I'm just like, you know, got the flop sweats. You know, I'm just like the perspiration just pouring off me. He's handing me glasses of ice water in a half an hour before the FBI agents show up, and then you know, so exactly at one o'clock on that day, they showed up. Okay. Uh, not at not at 101, 12:59. They showed up at one because I looked at my watch, and. Uh, you know, they sit there and we go through, they go through the interview and spend about two hours just telling them what I know. And they're asking a lot of questions, obviously, you know, they've all shown me their badges and all that kind of stuff. So I know this is, this is real. I mean, this is, we're not, this isn't just, you know, know, a mystery anymore. This is going to get, this is very real. These are the, this is the FBI. And there's two FBI agents in an IRS criminal investigative division guy. Okay. And, and so we go through that for about two hours and they hand me, I really shouldn't say this, but I'm going to, they hand me a letter. They hand me a letter, you know, which basically is kind of known as a queen for a day letter, but basically it's, you know, allowing, um, allowing you to commit crimes with the, with the, you know, acknowledgement and the protection of the United States uh, government. Okay. But they hand it to me and where, and where for me to sign, it says Richard Bailey defendant. And I look at Uh-oh. Michael Weinstein and I said, I'm not, I said, I'm not signing that. Okay. I said I'm absolutely not signing that. I'm not. I'm not the defendant. I didn't do anything wrong here. I'm here to help these guys. Right. You've only so, been it, trying to get somebody to do something for how long at this point? Uh, at that point, it's a year and a half. Yeah. Come on. And so they come back in and they say, you know, and Michael points it out in the letter. By the way, Michael shows it to me. I didn't even notice this at first. When I first looked, it, it, and it says, "Well, probably because you Weinstein. were nervous. I don't know if a bunch oh, of FBI right. agents walked so, in yeah. in suits." <laughs> It is, it, it is, it is, 
It is not. It is not for the faint of heart. Let me just tell you that. So it turns out, you know, and I sit there and I come back into the room and I'll sit there and I say, listen, and Michael goes, yeah, Richard's uncomfortable with this document. And they look at me and they go, we don't need it anymore. He goes, Richard, are you willing to wear a wire? And I looked at him. I said, yeah, I'll do it. Because at that point, I'm kind of in for a penny, in for a pound. And the, and the next you know, hour was a little bit of training sessions, you know, how to record phone calls and how to record phone calls with, you know, the target suspects. And things like that off your iPhone, and it's really simple. And you know, so they you'll gave never you like a little impromptu training on how to be a spy. Yes. Okay. Wow. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, I that, and that wasn't that wasn't the first and the only one either. Okay. You know. Um, uh, so what was that app that you can get? <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, how long did you go in there wearing this wire and like recording conversations and things? I did that four times. I brought a camera into one meeting. A, a hidden camera, camera like on audio. your phone or? Uh, it was actually in a, uh, looked like a Starbucks commuter mug. Oh, I was going to say like a pen yeah. and you're like, uh, I need you to bend yeah. over and write that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it was a commuter bag. Oh wow. Okay. I, I will tell you a funny story is that when I when they ask you, you know, we're going through the whole thing and they feel about wearing a wire, things like that. And you know, they're asking questions, you know, do you have any problems if somebody calls you a snitch? And I looked at them and I said, wait a second. I said, I kinda I kinda I mean, yeah. <laughs> I said, I said I said, I said, wait a second. I said, I don't view myself as a snitch. I said, a snitch is somebody who participates in the crime and then goes and rats them out, you know, so that just keep them going to jail. I said, you know, I'm trying to solve it. You know, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not part, I wasn't part of the crime. I am and a so they, citizen. You know, well, yeah, I guess, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a good citizen who swept myself down into an extra large, you know. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Um, oh my and, God. and, and, and and so we sit there and we go through the whole thing and, and I look at them and they go, do you have any questions? And I go, do they shave your chest to wear the wire? And everybody breaks, every, everybody breaks up laughing. All right. And they look at me like, nah, it's not like in the movies, you know, and you know, it, it's always disappointing, and, isn't it? It's never like in yeah. the movies. It's very anticlimactic. I know it's nothing like the movies. And I can tell you that you'll never know if somebody's wearing a wire. It can be a tie clip. It can be a pen. It can be a million different mm-hmm. things. So that's that, so that's how that started. Okay. And then there was so then you know there was a meeting that Southport called me to a meeting in a month later and uh, actually about three months later. By the time I had recorded a bunch of calls and things like that, mm-hmm. and uh, you mm-hmm. know I was doing that kind of work, and it was funny because you know the phone would ring and you know I go I I go out be sitting in my car and finally one of my sons you know. The one went to Yale. So he goes, what the hell is dad doing talking to people out in the car? We can't talk to people in here. And uh, I just, you know, so, so I would I would then go for a ride and talk to people and record okay. calls. And so, you know, so I wound up going to, they wanted me to wear a wire for this meeting in uh, New York at their offices. Um, at the Southport so, you know, offices. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. At Southport's offices. And so, you know, they meet me at my hotel at like nine o'clock in the morning. Mind you, I had had a massive panic attack, anxiety attack the night before. Oh, I can imagine it was probably happening for you like the entire time, probably. Nervous. Uh, More than once. Yeah. So uh, I sit there and they wire me up. I get in the car. I go down there. All of a sudden, I get out of the car. Now, these guys have just wired me up, right? These are the little things that stick in your mind. And they sit there. Now, we're in Midtown. Manhattan, right? In Times Square area. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
the office is down Wall Street, down the very small southern tip of Manhattan. And I get in my car, I drive down there, I park the car, and as I get out of the car and I'm walking out of the garage to the building, I get a text from the FBI and it says, see you. And I was like, Oh, oh so they were uh, watching you. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. Okay. So I I I, I go in, I do the meeting, good you know, for your uh, nervousness. I would have had <laughs> diarrhea. <Whoa. laughs> Did you save well, your pants or throw you know, them away? That's what I wanted to know. <laughs> the, funny, the funny thing is, you know, I've, I've always had this ability when the time comes, you know, to sit there and concentrate and focus. Um, and so I sit there and in the elevator right up there, all of a sudden, you know, it's like the world slows down. Okay. And I'm like, okay, I know exactly what I have to do right now. And I and I went and did. It was a you know, non, not really a terribly important meeting, but um, didn't, not a lot came of it. It's not as if we sat there and, you know, I'm sitting there and wearing a wire. It's not as if they outlined the, you know, the entire crime to me, you know, that yeah. didn't happen. They sit there, it's time, the meeting's over and they, and they sit there and they go, come on, let's go. And so all of a sudden it's in the elevator. Now I've been told by the FBI agent that I've got to text them on my way out. Okay. So we get, so we're, we're in, we're literally in the elevator going down 22 floors and I'm preparing to text to send out to the FBI, which says coming out, not alone. All right. Okay. And one of the, one of the guys from, from Southport system goes, Hey, you know, Richard, he goes, you're probably going to get photographed just for being seen with us. And everybody oh, so broke up laughing. kind of knew then maybe that they were already. It, it was just watch. I think they probably, I, I think they probably knew that they had, you're you know, like, they had, yeah, that they, would be weird. They had lied. <laughs> <laughs> they, they had they, they had liability yes i think they you know they, they probably grasped that that fact so you know i sat there and i said to him i said you know in, in a typical you know retort that i do i was just said i'll do the jokes you know and everybody's laughing we walk outside and we walk outside the plaza and there's this big plaza in front of the building and sitting on a wall 50 feet away from us i don't know why i picked them out right away with two fbi agents and one's got a big camera on us <laughs> Oh, wow. Okay. And, <laughs> so, you know, the irony of the fact that this guy said, oh, you're probably going to get a picture taken. But, you know, not two minutes later, that's exactly what was happening. That's always kind of stuck with me. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Wow. So, you know, that so that was so then, you know, I, I wound up doing things like that for a few more months. Um, and then in uh, January of 2016, I kind of something was going on because during the Christmas holidays and even on New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, you know, the lead FBI agents call me constantly. And, you know, where's this? Where's that? And, you know, and Michael just says to me and says, Richard, the government is on the move. I know exactly where they're what's going on. Mm. And he explained to me where everything where everything was. And, yeah, uh, uh, two weeks later, it got, uh, the FBI, the IRS and a few other three letter uh, agencies, you know, with the blue windbreakers on, you know, they uh, they raided Southport's office and they carried away, you know, six million pages of documents i was gonna say i i read that they carried out like boxes and boxes of records so no shredders in. were involved but i think i think <laughs> i was reading too like he had come up with of course like fake documents and stuff fraudulent documents and Alex? everything yes oh yeah oh, oh they're printing stock certificates okay. and one had my signature on it and this is the part that really you know we didn't get into this is the nitty-gritty detail of the whole thing but you know after I first had, you know, right around the time when I, I sat there and put everything onto the spreadsheet, they, um, Alex Burns sends me this document to sign. It's a preferred stock, which nothing wrong with that. I mean, okay, so they may just may be president of the company and CEO of, you know, the vineyard company. And so he's going to issue a preferred stock. I asked who to, it was one of the insurance companies. 
All right, so that all kind of makes sense, but we have no documentation of that. But I do have the cash, you know, the movements of the cash. So I'm like, okay, so we just got to document this and, you know, you, then we should be okay. And um, but I had my signature on that, t- that preferred stock certificate. And that preferred stock certificate uh, was for $1.2 million. And they traded, they quote unquote traded it to one of the insurance companies for $10 million worth of cash. Wow. Sign me up. That's and I got like, that I got sounds like, wow. like the oopsie doodle right there. Yeah, I got to tell you, that is that is a hell of a return on investment. Yeah, you know? that's crazy. And, and, uh, you know, and, but I've got my signature on that document. So that, yeah. That was yeah, probably pretty uh, scary once you realized like, hey, I did sign that. Yeah. That's, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, oh, I, yeah. I, I, I flop all over the FBI on that one. I said, listen, I got my signature on that. This is why I walked into that whole thing in that first meeting. So, Yeah. And I know like in conversations with you, he had actually told you at one point, I think that when you had asked him about some stuff, he had said or wrote down oh. SID, right? That was on the, when I asked him you know, about, the, about the $18 million came in one day, $3 million out the other, you know, he sat there and I said, what's this all about? I mean, you know. And he, he did. He grabbed my pencil. My grabbed my pen. Wrote down next to it. SID. I said, "What's SCF for?" He said, "Shit, I did." And that was Alex Burns. I'm sorry, Richard, but at that point, <laughs> <laughs> and I'd say, "Keep my shit and leave." <laughs> yeah. Money, money is a strong uh, way influencer to hold motivator. For sure. Yeah, yeah you know. Damn. You know, I got a son. I, I got a son who's, who's a senior in high school and going off to an Ivy League college next year. I need cash, you know. I, you know, I, I'm like, and, and in and of itself, you know, that nothing was a crime. I had no evidence of a crime yet. Yeah. That didn't yeah. come for another eight months, you know, so. Yeah. So did you ever get to talk to Alex after all this went down or no? No. Wow. He was, uh, in January 30th, 2014, he called me. He had his assistant call me and I came in uh, to his office and um, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm outlining a plan for the only way to get through the winter with the vineyard because it's a seasonal business mm-hmm. and winter is the slow season. Yeah. You know, and is that, you know, you're going to need to come up with about, you know, at least $250,000 to get me through the winter. And he's not paying any attention to me. And he's looked down. He's kind of, he's more harried looking than usual. Um, and I mean, this is a 26 year old kid who looked about 35. Okay. I mean, you know, he was in, he was, he was kind of a mess. I was going to say, uh, do you think that maybe he was struggling with some mental health issues at this point? Because it sounds to me like he was probably figuring out that the government was starting to figure out, yeah, what was going on. The the coroner's report said that he had Asperger's and had tried to commit suicide on a number of occasions. Okay. But, you know, but anyway, so he, I'm sitting there, I'm talking to him and he looks at me and he's, well, he doesn't look at me, he's looking at his phone the entire time. He's not listening to me at all. And he sits there and he goes, oh, fuck, oh, fuck, oh, fuck. And, and, and I don't know, I kind of kicked into like, you know, he's not much older than my, my oldest son. I go, what's the matter, kid? You okay? And he goes, I hate my fucking insurance companies. He gets up, he walks out, nobody sees or hears from him again. Oh, so that was like literally the last conversation that you had with him. Yep. Wow. And he, you know, he, he, he checked himself into Bellevue Hospital. Saying he had a nervous breakdown. Then he went home to his mother in Westport, Connecticut. And then, you know, about four months later, he resurfaces, you know, in uh, Charleston, South Carolina, you know, yeah. and starts it all and starts a new little new little scam all over again. Oh, so he started another business out there because I read that he, he had 
like basically relocated to South Carolina and had purchased some land. Like, I guess it was like an exclusive golf, equestrian, and bird hunting yeah, it's, resort uh, or at, something. At a place called Bray's Plantation outside of Charleston. He also, you know, start, started a run company down there, held himself out and presented himself to people down there. A retired New York hedge fund guy. Oh, like, he's okay. 27. Yeah. At that point. And I got to talk to a couple of people who knew him well down there. Um, and they said that, you know, it all, he was pulling it off until the Wall Street Journal articles came out in 2016. Yeah, because they have a huge audience. So I would think that once that drops, the jig is up a little bit. And you're like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, so... And, you know, he, let me ask you this, because like I do know that at some point he started cooperating with the federal government and that he did plead guilty, correct? He did. He pled guilty in uh, it was November of 2018. OK, so three years passed okay. from the time, he, you know, four years passed from the time he went down there. And, you know, frankly, during that time, I kept on expecting to show up at the vineyard one day because I'm still running the vineyard. You know, and, but nobody ever saw or heard from him again. Um, and he started cooperating. He signed it. And he, I guess he started cooperating probably 2017. The FBI agent told me that they had one cooperating witness already, but they wouldn't tell me who because they don't tell you anything. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was he started cooperating around then. All I can tell you is from that point on, the FBI really wasn't concerned about Alex Burns. They were most concerned about Andrew Scherer and Rob McGraw. Oh, okay. uh, both of whom Alex had stepped down and guilty. they were yeah. still running it then. Minions. Yeah. Yeah. And so, well, they were still. And I think I heard you say you were still running the vineyard up to that point then in 2018. I ran the vineyard until August 2018. Oh, wow. And then what happened at that point? Oh, uh, the vineyard was sold. The insurance company sold it. Uh, okay. I got up it. <laughs> you know, I thought, I thought maybe I'd have a. And the funny thing is, you know, I could never I could never tell the insurance companies that I was on the FBI side during the whole thing. They thought I was part of Southport Lane, so they re- uh, didn't really care for me. OK, so you looked like you were part of the whole. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Can you tell me because I know there was the whole number one, I, I believe that Alex had in 2013 received his undergraduate degree at Columbia University. So, I mean, not did that correct. Yeah, I yeah, not Yale. Yale. No, he... it wasn't Yale. <laughs> no, it wasn't Yale. So I that had... was just to impress people, the Yale thing. I think the Yale thing was to try to like garner, you know, make himself yeah. look more legit. important. Yeah, legit. But then, yeah, he ended up getting his undergraduate. I had read it at Columbia University in 2013. I mean, where did was did he? Use right, it was, like, it, was like, it was it was it was. Oh, absolutely. He originally started at a place called St. John's down in Annapolis, Maryland. Um, oh, okay. But the whole the whole the whole Yale thing was a complete was a complete hoax. It's funny too because you know one night when Burns and I were out for dinner, we were at Smith and Molenski's. You know, he goes, "So your son, how's your son like Yale?" I said, "He likes it." He goes, "You know, get him on the phone." So I get Alex Bailey on my son. Son's name is Alex. I get Alex Bailey on the phone with Alex Burns, and Burns starts telling him the story about how when he was at Yale, he started his own secret society. It was better than Skull and Bones and all those kind of things. And he and and so I asked him, "What's the name of it?" And he goes, "He said it was Porn and Chicken." Like what? And that's what he said. It was Porn and Chicken. My favorite. So, you know, my, <laughs> I don't know yeah. <laughs> well, I'm first of all, and, 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 though. <laughs> 
and he's and he's talking to my 18 year old freshman that Yale son. His wife says, "Going really? Where's that one? I'm going. I'm going to their party." Yeah. Um, exactly. It's at Popeyes. So, <laughs> so Popeyes. it turns so he he told my my son to um to Google Google Alex Stern's Yale. You know, and point of chicken, and sure enough, comes up. You know, at that <laughs> there, there was a guy named Alex, that, 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 <laughs> that a guy badly named searching Alex Burns, on the phone right now. <laughs> yeah, that a guy named that a guy named Alex Burns. You know, founded Point of Chicken, and they made a um, pornographic movie starring none other than Alex Burns. Okay. So I'm sitting there going, I'm sitting there going, okay, well, um, so I'm walking back to my hotel after that dinner. And my son texts me. He goes, "Dad, this guy's full of shit." <laughs> he goes, "He goes, that was that was that would have been you know he would have been like had to be thirty five years old or something like that." Now, he goes, oh and I said, wow, I said, okay, oh. okay. So he was yeah. kind of using yeah. that so, video like as his, but it was really some other person. Yeah, okay. so another uh, another Alex Burns. Yeah. So like, you know, he 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 could lie and without fear. Yeah. But and, and he didn't care if people you know figured it out. I mean, I knew I knew from a conversation that you know he didn't he didn't race sailboats, you know. And now he couldn't I think even tell you what the parts of the boat, you know, things like that. He was just basically a chameleon, like operating amongst uh, people yeah. who had money was that and power to do with his Aspergers or no? it, I don't know. It could. I mean, Aspergers is a spectrum of autism, right? So could very well, you know, be because they do have difficulty oftentimes like operating amongst um, the general population as far as like socially awkward. Um, I mean, I think I had read too, like where it looked like he was just giving and I think it was from the vineyard that you were operating, but like he was just giving wine away, even though you oh, yeah. guys were like losing money, of course, because money was uh, oh, being he, shifted he, around. But, but money didn't have really yeah, any... Uh, like when you're didn't have value doing, yeah, meeting when you're doing that, it's yeah. like monopoly money. Yeah. It's like, uh, who cares? Yeah. That's what it yeah. yeah, it's you know, it's a sad it's a sad and tragic tale. It, it really is. is. Um actually it is. You know, he could be charming and witty and you know, but most fun men can, you know, and, and you know, there's a part of me that felt sorry for him. There's part of me realized that he was just, you know, a stone cold liar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm, interesting. In hindsight, would you have done anything differently if you could go back? As far as the whole crime thing, I, I'm not sure I could have done anything differently because, it, you know, it, it was kind of a, you know, first of all, you're dealing, you know, you're trying to get in touch with the FBI who doesn't want to talk That's to anybody crazy. unless unless they want to talk to you. So, I mean, it was it was a year plus just trying to get to those guys. And I'm not sure there's anything else I could have done. I don't know. You know I I, I what was like the most eye-opening thing during this, like working with the feds? Like, oh, I had no idea, blank. Or, I mean, besides that, you don't have to shave your chest to wear a wire. <laughs> was there anything that was like, man, uh, this yeah. was totally uh, different? I, I don't know. Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah. Because <laughs> there's sometimes where you're like, if I would have known this, I would never have done that. Yeah, or, or something you know. that was revealed to you, you know, after you were coming forward and, and started working with the federal government and maybe they were giving you additional details or something that you were kind of like, oh, wow. You know, anything was like that anything that happened? Like that? The, 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 the thing that I think back upon the most is how little 
they told me of what was going on, what the FBI told me was going on. They, they, they only told me exactly what they needed me to do right before I needed to do it. I could okay. never be a fed. I would be like, and then, you know? and also, and don't forget, you know? oops. I just couldn't and, and, do uh, it. And, I, and I'm, I'm one of those knuckleheads. I want to know everything exactly. that's going on. You know? and, and that was probably the most difficult part. The whole wearing a wire in all that kind of stuff. Yeah, it was, you know, I can't, that wasn't difficult, quite mm-hmm. frankly. Um, you, know, that was, you know, that was kind of fun to a certain extent. Okay. Um, that's what I'm personally telling you. <laughs> I hardly ever have, okay? That's well, you know, I think that was probably, probably the most difficult part was, you know, the not knowing. And then, you know, when, when they're done with you, they are done with you. You hear nothing from them. Yeah, crickets. Yeah. What'd your kids think about this? Yeah. Did I mean I they probably didn't know till after it was said and done, I'm assuming. I knew like, some oh, knew bits and pieces. And... <laughs> no, I didn't know they, they didn't know that when it was going on. And you know, frankly, they did it in my life. I didn't did they ever course. meet Alex Burns? Any of them? Uh, no. No. Okay. But no. your son just said that guy's a bullshitter. And yeah. You're like, man, I know. Well, <laughs> That's yeah. the least yeah. of his I mean, problems. Yeah, he, he was drinking very good wine when he, when he did. <laughs> <laughs> Don't try to plug <laughs> that vineyard, <laughs> Richard. <laughs> <laughs> well, it wasn't our, it wasn't our wine, so yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, Richard, tell everybody where they can find your book again um, and then let everybody know when it's going to be released. Okay, well, thank you very much for this. And the book is called Pirate Cove, uh, and it's the insider's guide of the Southport Lane scandal. And you can buy it. It'll be released on November 23rd of this year, 2023. And you can buy it at Barnes & Noble. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon. And I'll be, I'm happy to say that on Goodreads, um, it's gotten uh, quite well-reviewed. If you, if, if you Google Richard D. Bailey and Pirate Cove, you will find it. Okay, awesome. I mean, if we going to buy a copy of it, but if I send it to you to get it signed, will you sign it, Richard? I would love that. Absolutely. Awesome. Absolutely. Okay. I appreciate All it. All right. But you got to sign it chicken and porn. That's like- <laughs> well, how about, if I, how, about, how, how about if I sign my FBI code name? You know? Oh, what was it? <laughs> oh, Did yeah. Share that real quick. Uh, it was, they assigned me the name Brewer. Brewer, you know, and yeah, and I'm just, you know, listen, and, like and, and yes, but, we're brewing beer, yeah, or yeah, yeah, yeah. They thought they thought it was witty, they thought it was witty. <laughs> okay. Um, you know, I'm, I'm they, just sitting they there. Made they made it up. Oh yeah, I'm That's I'm awesome. sitting there just saying saying to myself that I'm of a certain age that you know the movie Animal House. I'm just so glad that it wasn't flounder. <laughs> Like an animal house. So, <laughs> so, so I'm going brewer. I'll take that. So. <laughs> toe, toe jam. <laughs> yeah, toe jam. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I want that so proud job. I want the person that gives a, out assigns- toe names. <laughs> I could be killer at that. You know it's. You, know. you track the spreadsheet and assign the nicknames. <laughs> Patty Go. What is this person's name? <laughs> White Gladys. That's my new name. 
awesome. Well, Richard, thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate thank it. Thank you very much. It's been super interesting. Yeah, it has been. Looking forward to your book and um, great job out there. We really appreciate the hard work as an American citizen working for the federal government. Working for the federal government for no pay. For no pay, that's right. You and your patriotic <laughs> duty, sir. We appreciate that's you. That's right. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, thanks. Thanks. Guys, so thank you. Thank you very much. All right. Take care. Well, that was. An awesome interview. Interesting, for sure. Yes, definitely. Um, I'm going to read the book. I'm not even sad to say that. I am going to also read that book. I wasn't lying when I said I was going to uh, purchase. Buy a copy. Yep. Uh, I will buy it now because you can. Pre-order. Yep, pre-order it. Hard copy, but I will wait for its Kindle because (laughs) I read on my phone. That way I can zoom in and not wear my glasses. Uh. (laughs) I like the hard copy so I can highlight and then add like little <laughs> flags and tabs and stuff. You know, I'm one of those nerds. So. Richard, do you see what I have to deal with here? <laughs> so thanks, Richard. I hope you do. <laughs> so uh, I know we didn't really talk too much about the charges that Alexander had ended up facing, but he did plead guilty and King, yeah they never do that yeah the interesting thing too was while he was still alive the case had been sealed and then of course after he was found dead from suicide uh, in charleston south carolina i believe they uh oh, unsealed okay. the case and then of course it was dismissed because he was awaiting sentencing after he had pled guilty to uh eight criminal counts um like we had talked about he was cooperating then, yeah, committed suicide, which is, you know, obviously sad because he, he took his own life, kind of. And I want to bring this up only because I know some people will be like, oh, you know, he did some horrible things. But I also feel like he kind of tortured himself a little bit at the end because he took a powder that would asphyxiate himself. Asphyxiate. I can say it, I promise. But <laughs> the use. Yeah, the use. <laughs> So he essentially couldn't breathe at the end. He choked. That's how he killed himself. And that's how he ended up dying. So I almost feel like he punished himself Uh, at the end and then... I mean, suicide's never happy. Oh, no. Under any... No, definitely not. So uh, To get to that point mentally. And I do wonder, too, because he... uh, By that point, he had bowed out as CEO, had left the companies, right? And um, to Richard's point... Sounds like he started something else, but who knows what his sense would have been. I'm sure he didn't have like a huge criminal record before that. So, yeah, you know, but, you know, he, maybe he didn't see himself in prison and that he felt like that was the only way out. But he so. had also attempted suicide previously. Correct. So it might yes. not have had anything to do and with it. And it might not all. have. Yeah. I don't know. No. Uh, sad ending. Yeah. But to do that, everyone end on a low note and then be like, okay, bye. Yeah. See you later. <laughs> next episode. Thank you very much for coming. Right. Um, Hopefully it'll be funnier. So uh, we do, again, want to shout out to Richard for taking the time yeah, today. That was awesome. um, we really appreciate him allowing us to interview and pick his brain a little bit. That was great. So good luck with your book sales. Uh, you have two fans here. <laughs> we will be buying your book. So I don't know what we're doing for the next episode. We will be brainstorming. Um, Patty, Gladys, White, whatever your name was. White Gladys. <laughs> <laughs>
I'm going to sink your boat, lady. <laughs> Deservedly so. Oh, my gosh. Uh, we'll figure that out. But uh, Hold on before you sign off. I, I was just going to run aside. Do you have anything I that do. you would like to Belated add? The house crafting of oh. that bitch is in jail, everyone. <laughs> Elizabeth Holmes kicking and screaming. I watched. Did you watch? Got taken to the clink. The clink. Um, did you watch the video oh. clip of her walking no, into a prison? I did not. She was smiling and stuff. Uh, yeah, so she, she won't get a cool nickname like Martha did, is all uh, I have Yeah, to say. I don't know. Who knows? Isn't um, she in the same place that Jen Shaw is? I can't remember. I know we had talked before on a previous episode. Like, yes. But we'll probably have to housecraft that on the next episode. Yeah. We'll look Maybe it up. they'll become friends and then they'll do like a TV show. <laughs> <laughs> Stranger shit has happened, as we all know. And what would they call it, Patty? Oh boy, uh, I can't think that fast. Oh my god, I'm not even. I have sure. to think of something, but I'm sure Jen would have to be first top build because you know she, that's she amazing. Is. Yeah, we'll see how amazing she is when she gets out of the clink. I heard she had to like take a break of Botox before she would. Oh yeah, she did. She so. did because she's well, not going to be getting that while she's in there. So good. <laughs> Maybe she'll look normal. Anyways, any other housecrafting or tidbits you would like to share with our listeners before we sign oh, off? Except for trees hate me or grass. I know allergies. Really bad. Yes. Uh, that's it. All right. Well, hit us up, olddirtybenches at gmail.com. You know the digit, they dirty benches. See, I'm coughing all the way to the end. Have a good one. Thanks. Bye. Bye.